0: Me to Mark chapter 6, we will not be doing a study of the book of Mark, but just this sixth chapter and not even the whole sixth chapter, starting with verse 30. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30. You know, this is right smack in the middle of the ministry of Jesus. You know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the four gospels all written to record the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, we just finished the Christmas season. The Christmas season, we really focus on the first few days or at least the first few years of Jesus' life. And then there's this long gap until he turns the age of 30, and then he goes out in his public ministry. He preaches and he teaches and he does miracles and he does a lot of calling people to himself and calling him to the Father. And so we pick it up with verse 30. And I'm just going to read verses uh, 30 through 34. We'll, we'll actually read all the way through 41, but just for the sake of time, we'll start off just reading verses 30 through 34. And uh, just to uh, set the stage here, um, you know, the apostles, they're pretty weary and they need a break. Jesus, well, he's been pouring out himself uh, in, every, in every way, shape, or form, but people are still thronging to him because, well, they saw in Jesus someone who could heal, someone who knew what no one else knew, someone who was speaking in a way they'd never heard anyone speak, someone who was teaching in a way they'd never heard anyone teach. And so people were thirsty for something, even if they didn't know what. And by the way, a lot of times that's the case. People are thirsty for something. They don't know what, but they know they're thirsty. And in this Seen in this setting, Jesus is going to do one of the great miracles. He's going to feed 5,000. Well, it's probably well more than 5,000, at least 5,000 men plus women and children. So the total number, 10,000, 12,000, who knows? But uh, it was a large number of people. But before that miracle, and in that miracle, we want to look this morning at what can we learn from Jesus that we can apply to our lives in 2018? How do we walk in the way that he... He was not only doing a miracle and not only was he there to meet the needs of the lost, but he was also teaching and training the disciples at the same time. I always love the fact that Jesus can shoot one arrow and he hits multiple targets at the same time. Amen? So at the one, on the one hand, yes, he's reaching out to the lost and the hungry and the thirsty and the people that are saying, what are the words of life? But at the same time... He's also teaching and training the disciples because they represent the church at this time. And so even while God wants us to have our eyes looking at him and looking out, he wants to teach us and train us and make us more effective for the work of the gospel in this coming year. So pick it up with me in verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, he had sent them out two by two, and they had been Going from city to city, in some places they weren't well-received, in some places they were, and they had seen a lot of great things done, but they came back, they were both excited about what God had done, think about 2017, and kind of worn out. You ever been there? You're on parallel tracks. I'm really pumped up, and yet I'm wiped. How is this possible? Well, that's where they were at. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Well, that sounds nice. And they have a permission slip from Jesus to go rest. You know the hallway pass you used to get as a kid? They have a pass to stop and go rest. For there were many coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, and when Jesus came, He came out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Uh, Lord, we're not following uh, the wisdom of man. We're not following our own New Year's resolutions, but we do want to follow the words of Jesus. Lord, teach us this morning. May we hear with hearing hearts. And, Lord, may we receive and apply that which your Spirit wants us to know, do, and follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know, Jesus said, hey, you guys can go rest. You need the rest. Go take some time. You've been working really hard. You've been ministering. Uh, But it didn't happen, actually. We got to the other side, and the crowds had already gotten there. And so Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, by the way, crowds, I had already told them they could rest. You guys come back in a couple weeks. He said, let's go ahead and stop right here. And we're going to minister some more. And we'll pick that up again in a few minutes, starting verse 35. Now, a year ago, we started off in Acts chapter 2, just not a study for the uh, the year, but just that starting the new year, Acts chapter 2. We looked at the fact that the early church, some characteristics of the early church, how they met, how they prayed, how they broke bread together. And here we're looking at a list of characteristics as well. Uh, but along the lines of what it is that Jesus is teaching them in the moment, right here in this setting. And we want to pick it up uh, with the first one, if you're taking notes, in uh, verse 30. Now, Jesus, he had said in his ministry, take my yoke upon me and what? Learn of me. Uh, Yoke yourself, by the way, a yoke, it put two together, right? If you you." You don't need a yoke for one. You put a yoke together so two oxen could be together, and Jesus yokes us to him. In other words, he joins us at his side, and we come under the same truths that he's taught and say, come under these truths, come beside me, and learn of me. Jesus is going to teach us day by day through difficulties, through good times, through bad times, All those things. He wants to teach us these things. Now, Jesus specifically also said, as he teaches us, he said, don't be hearers only, but what? Doers. He wants us to be doers of his word. And so he was always teaching the disciples by doing things that they could see, modeling it, but then reinforcing it. He would then speak. He'd ask them questions. They would be like, why is he asking these questions? Because He's making sure, are they they really absorbing it? Are they ready to apply it in their life? And the first thing we want to look at uh, that we see in the apostles here is the importance in our life, in this learning by doing, to pray. Now, you say, well, I already know that. We started in prayer. Prayer is important. A lot of people know they should pray, and yet they still don't have a prayer life. Many in the church. I mean, if they were really honest, if someone walked around and followed them for an entire week, uh, they say, well, yeah, I, I pray. And you find out that their prayer was over breakfast, maybe dinner. But as we grow in a prayer life, we grow in this relationship with Jesus. And look at verse 30. It says the apostles gathered together and told him all things. There's a dialogue going on here. says, You might say, where's the prayer? I don't see a prayer in this verse. Well, as believers, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a conversational relationship with him. Our prayer life is many things. It's not just one thing. Uh, our prayer life can involve worship and worship of music. It can involve praise, confession, interceding for other people, pleading for other people, it can involve tears, can be personal needs, personal requests. All of these are forms of prayer. Prayer is not a one-dimensional thing. But ultimately, all prayer is aligning our hearts with God. Amen. All prayer is to align our... God is not changed by our prayer. We're changed by prayer. And it's not a scripted liturgy, right? We're not going to say every time the most holy prayers that we read this exact thing eight million times. And Jesus said, don't do like the heathens with their vain repetitions, he called it. It's not a liturgy, but it's a discussion with our Lord and Savior. And so we see the disciples you might not see verse 30 as prayer, but they would later see it as when Jesus was no longer physically present, they would still converse with him as if he was. I talk to Jesus as if he's in this room. How about you? It's a conversation. And they were telling Jesus, oh, hell, here's, here's how it went, Lord. Peter, be quiet. So we, I can tell him, right? That had to happen sometimes, right? Can I tell him, please, how my, how my trip went? Parents, you know how that is with kids, right? There's a dialogue. Hey, be quiet. I want to tell my part of the story. They were telling the Lord all the things that happened, the good things, the bad things, the times they had to dust off their feet, the times they got rejected, the times that people actually got healed, all of these things. And that is a conversation, and it's a prayer life that they would develop in his presence but continue after his sins. Disciples had this dialogue with Jesus, and, and he wants our prayer life to be a dialogue and a discussion with him. They talked, again, how things went. But the Lord, when we talk to Him, we can say things, Lord, thank you for letting me run into this person today. Thank you for this opportunity that you gave me today. Thank you that I was able to share uh, a note of encouragement to somebody. God wants to have us talk about what we're doing. And then when we do, he says, and not only that, as you have another opportunity, think about this. A verse will come to mind. That's the uh, way that the Lord speaks to us. You know, Martin Luther was saying, you know, if, if we're, if we're going to wait until we're worthy to pray, we'll never pray. You're going to wait until you're worthy. One, one of the facets he said about our prayer life is he said that because we're unworthy to pray is precisely why we must pray. You'll always feel unworthy. Well, so I don't have the kind of walk that Jesus had. You start talking to Him, and your walk will be transformed. That's the way it works. Feeling unworthy—that's a great place to start. Everything in our life, day by day, week by week, year by year, it needs to start with prayer. And we, we've asked that that the church uh, uh, fast the first Wednesday. We just finished that, and the last Wednesday. And I hope you'll join us. If you didn't join the first one, you got another opportunity at it to fast the last one. Some people are signing up for fasting days to pray for Pastor Randy and other people that are, that are sick or infirmed. Uh, but you have other things that Lord put on your heart. Say, you need to fast for this situation in your family or this situation in your job. Or All these things are important. Start small. Say, I've never fasted before. Well, start with one meal and set it aside. And God will do great things. He'll start to bless the little things will have big, big impact. We looked at that two years ago, and I continue to reference it. But it's in this dialogue with the Lord that they get their direction. Look at the rest of the verse. Uh, They begin to teach uh, or they begin to tell him all the things that they had done. And he's dialoguing, listening to what uh, has taken place. And then verse 31 brings us to our next observation of Jesus' teaching and training. They get some direction. He says, all right, now come aside. Come aside. Come over here. Maybe he points to a direction. Go to this deserted place and rest a while. Which brings us to the next thing we want to cultivate in our life. We need to cultivate a prayer life. If you already have one, it can grow. You need to water it some more. Continue to have that dialogue with the Lord. Take new steps in our prayer life. But also say, rest. I'm really good at this already. 23rd Psalm. He maketh me to what? Lie down. Americans actually aren't really good at this. We think we're good at rest but we're really not, not in the spiritual sense and not in the biblical sense and certainly not. Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Why would he say that? Because he knows people are naturally restless. People are naturally, all of humanity is naturally restless. We're always looking for ways to find rest. But on the seventh day of creation, God did what? He rested. Now, unlike us, God was not tired on the seventh day. He wasn't worn out. He wasn't stressed out. He didn't need a break. He was modeling that day. He was modeling that in humanity, we would have to purposefully set aside rest to refrain from working, to refrain from brainstorming, to refrain from creating fixing, and all the other things that are required aspects of life. Those are good things. But he said, there's a day when I want you to fix your eyes just on me and let me pour into you. Later, with the giving of the law, Israel was commanded to work for how many days? Six days. And on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, today would be Saturday, the seventh day to rest. The seventh day rest was a break from work They could not work on the Sabbath. But it was not a break from God. Did you hear that? It wasn't a break from God. Quite the opposite, quite the contrary, if you've never studied it. The seventh day was a holy convocation where the people had to gather together. I don't want to gather together. I want to be on my back porch reading the Wall Street Journal on Sunday. God says, on the seventh day... You've got to gather together for a holy convocation. That's what he called. It wasn't just to set aside from work, but it was to gather and worship. Every week, every week, every week of their life, the nation of Israel was to rest from work, but to gather together every seventh day to worship the Lord. Now, the New Testament church, we're under the the age of grace. The New Testament church later adopted the exact Same model as the Old Testament in Israel. Most of the earliest churches, they actually gathered on the Sabbath. Most of the early churches gathered on the Sabbath because the early churches were almost all Jewish. And as more and more Gentiles came to faith, uh, many Gentile churches, in fact the majority of Gentile churches, started to worship on the first day of the week in observation of the resurrection of Jesus, which reflected, uh, again, just a worship and a praise and an adoration of Jesus raising from the dead. The spirit wasn't opposed to it. The apostles weren't opposed to it. And the epistles didn't forbid it either. And they don't forbid it. Uh, So eventually you have churches like messianic churches that still, their Sabbath rest is on the Sabbath. And you have many that take a Sabbath rest on the first day of the week. But the the model was the same. But aside from the built-in rest and worship days, because God had these built-in seventh days, because he's, God knows human beings. If we didn't have it built in, we would never have it. Hmm. I wonder if God foresaw all grocery stores open seven days a week and everything 24-7. And and thank you, Thomas Edison, for electricity because now we have lights on 24-7, Times Square in the middle of Hong Kong and Singapore and all these things, right? None of that existed, but now it's nonstop. It's a blur of activity. God says, if you're going to need a day, to set everything aside. God ordained this rest that's far more than a regular cadence and far more than just corporate rest and corporate worship. One of the most regular forms of rest that God built in, we might forget and take for granted, it's called sleep. Right? He ordained sleep. Nobody can live without it. They say if you go, what, like 10 days or something without sleep, uh, you won't wake up. He ordained rest in the form of regular worship, gathering together, setting aside of work, but also a daily rest. A daily rest, a daily Sabbath in your life is a sleep period. But um, we live in a society where sleep is quite a challenge these days. Did you know that? More than a third of Americans don't make proper time for it, according to a Mayo Clinic study. More than a third, say closer to 40%. A report in Modern Health Talk found that Americans get, on average, two hours less sleep than our ancestors did in America 150 years ago per night. Two hours less per night. That's a lot when you add up in a year, isn't it? Two hours less than our great-great-grandparents did 150 years ago. Two-thirds of Americans say they do not feel rested. Two-thirds say they do not feel rested. There's opportunities out there to bring rest isn't there to make matters worse given the impact of tv and digital devices sleep generally isn't as deep as it once was for many people god purposed that we would need rest but that we'd make time for it and prioritize it in our life we'd have to make time we have to prioritize we have to say i'm going to gather and worship i'm going to get the right amount of rest Now, I need to hear this, too, because I don't know about you, I'm always trying to fit one more thing in. Anyone else like that? I'm always trying to fit, oh, I can get one more thing. I can fit one, oh, I can fit five in. And I like information, too, which is a bad thing in these days because you can find as much information as you want. I love From a kid, I loved statistics, I love data, I love anything information-wise. And now that I'm, the older I'm getting, I'm like, I don't want any more information. You know, it's like, Jesus, just let me hear from you. But nevertheless, it's still there. But we desperately need rest. Our minds need rest. Our bodies need rest. Our souls need rest. We're very limited. We're very limited. We can't produce anything. We have to be refilled. We're like our cell phones. We have to be recharged on a regular basis, don't we? And the older we get, just like our cell phone battery, it doesn't last. The charge doesn't seem to last that long either, does it? We have a lot of comparisons to it. If we're not recharged, we're of no practical use. If we're not recharged and we're not refilled. Now, rest comes in various forms. I wanted to show you a few that you might recognize. Different forms of rest. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of rest, and the pie charts are not equal because sleep should be a lot bigger on your pie chart here than some of the other things. You have to make time for sleep, uh, but it's representative of different types of rest, not the proportion is not correct, and obviously a one- gather in a week, or if you come Wednesday nights too, that pie chart will look a little different. But nevertheless, different forms. Now, by the way, some of these things you won't find in Scripture. Did you know the word vacation is not found in the Bible? I know Americans think that it, it was came with the Constitution or something like that, but you will not find the word vacation anywhere in the Bible. matter of fact, almost all kind of respites, retreats, and getaways in the Bible were a time of going and fasting somewhere. Well, that doesn't sound like a vacation at all, but... Uh, <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I believe that there, there's, there's, even with what Jesus said, go away for a time and rest, I think that there's application. I don't have anything against vacation. We take them. But I think they can be very, really valuable if they're done right. If your vacation is to fit everything under the sun in, you didn't get any rest. So, again, we're kind of defeating the whole purpose. And But as we look at these different things, um, they're all important, sometimes of solitude. You need time by yourself. And husbands, you need to let work to let your wife have some time where she can be alone. Wives, Let your husband have time. To just be alone with the Lord. Be alone, maybe just for to go for a walk. Sometimes solitude can be two people together if you're a husband and wife. But again, Jesus understood the value of it because he told the disciples, go take some time to rest. It is important. But you have to really say, Lord, I want this for the right reasons. Uh, When we we rest, it has to be for the right reasons and the right motives. We're to set aside rest and worship and sleep and other forms for what? For God's glory and that we would be re-strengthened to do his will and to do the good works that he's already set before us. Now, a lot of people wouldn't consider. I want you to start to reconsider when you come on a Sunday that this is a form of rest. You should be refreshed in worship. It shouldn't be treachery. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You should say, I, when I go to church, it is a rest place, not, we've got to fit church in this week. If you have to stand before Jesus and say that, you wouldn't feel real good about this the moment, would you? No. Say, Lord, we have to change our thinking to say, when I gather with the body of Christ, that is rest. That's truth. And we speak truth to ourselves and say, I need to stop thinking um, I thought I was resting on New Year's Day. I hadn't done this for a while. I was I was wiped out, and I watched like three football games in a row. Didn't leave the couch except for to get to the restroom and something else. I could not sleep at all that night. God said, "You're never doing that again." It was so not restful, but I thought I was resting. And it wasn't even my team, so I thought for I won't care, I can just, oh, that was a bad play, that's a good play, what did you do here? And I I watched three games in a row on New Year's Day, and God said, how do you feel now? Two in the morning when you can't sleep, because you're, (laughs) we have to understand what rest is. I was already working on this message, so I'm like, how did I blow it to start, you know, (laughs) anyway. Now, the disciples here also understand that although oh, God wants us to prioritize rest, although we have to invest in genuine rest and say, Lord, teach me what rest is, the 23rd Psalm. Go reread it and see what Jesus, he wants us to lead us beside still waters. He wants us to understand that he wants us to be at rest. But at the same time, strangely enough, even though we have the stewardship and God's called us to be faithful in disciplining our lives to turning the TV off, getting to bed earlier, investing time with brothers and sisters and having restful fellowship. All these things, these different forms of rest, if you're going to take a vacation, do it in such a way that the family's refreshed. All those things are important. That's called balance. But in the midst of it all, guess what God will sometimes do? He'll throw a curveball right into The very thing we're trying to do correctly. Give you an example. Remember Abraham? Abraham, you're going to have a son. Great. Let's plan and prepare Sarah for a son. Son doesn't come. Year and another year goes by. 10 years goes by. 20 years goes by. Where's the son? Oh, by the way, when you have the son, go sacrifice him. Odd. There's a lot of spiritual paradoxes that the very things that God wants to teach us to do, he will sometimes not allow it. And that caused us to well, Lord, I thought you wanted me to get rest. And all of a sudden, I had insomnia for a week. God said, yeah, I wanted you to pray through it. What? The disciples right here, he said, come rest for a while. They were about to do it. Then they got to the other side, and they didn't get to rest after all. Jesus, what gives? You told us to rest. We went to go rest, and then we didn't get to rest. You ever had this happen? You had everything set aside to rest, and then the kids started vomiting. <laughs> right? I had it all worked out. Now you'll come back to it because discipline doesn't change in a day. You come back to it, but you'll have to rely on the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says, now I wanted you to have the right motive, but now you're actually not going to get it because your life is led by the Spirit and it's also supernatural. Strange dichotomy, right? We're supposed to purpose to rest, and then sometimes God says, but you actually aren't going to get it. But you're going to do things you wouldn't be able to do in your own life flesh anyway. Sometimes God will allow fatigue, even roadblocks. The Good Samaritan would have never stopped if it was based on, well, Lord, I prioritize rest, and this is really going to get in the way of it. Do you know a lot of people won't serve in ministry because they'll, they'll actually use my own message against me? You said to rest, so I'm resting. That's what I'm doing. I'm not, I can't serve, in this, can't serve in children's ministry because that would stress me out, and that would mess up my rest. But here's the thing. All rest is learning. We prioritize it for the right reasons, so we grow spiritually, but it's in Christ. He is the rest. When we prioritize it right, then he takes us through the famine periods, and they're going to happen. He takes us through the times where we had planned on getting rest, and instead we got the flu. Which, by the way, sometimes you get more rest with the flu than you did without it. Works on that way, too. Plan and prioritize it, but we're to persevere in the power of the Spirit when God says, Oh, by the way, not now. I hope this all makes sense to you. Let's take a look at the next thing. Um, as we continue forward, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw the multitude, was moved with compassion, because they were like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus, instead of stopping, again, he was teaching them, yes, we need the rest, but You'll be okay, but God the Father will give you a supernatural rest right now that will be better than a 10-hour nap. You're going to be okay. Because the compassion he had when he saw the people, the main reason Jesus had compassion for the people is he saw their souls. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, you might say, "Uh, that's not really registering me. I'm not into the sheep herding business. What does that mean? Sheep without a shepherd, they die. Did you know that? You might just gloss over that, but he saw them, any sheep that don't have a shepherd will most certainly be killed by wolves, coyotes, lions, in the Middle East. They had all that stuff at that time. All of those things, or just kind of drown. all kinds of things. Without a shepherd, they die. And people, human beings, the souls of men and women, without the good shepherd, are led to destruction and eternal death. When Jesus looks at sheep without a shepherd, he knows that means certain death if they don't have the good shepherd. If they're not prepared for death, because we're all going to die anyway, eventually, right? If we're not prepared for the end. But brother and sister, do we have compassion for people? Do we see people as souls, or just, eh, hey, that's my neighbor, and you know, they, they, they're happy as any other person I know. Will we change our schedules? Will we change our plans? Will we say, God, you're my rest so I can go beyond my physical capacity? Will we be inconvenienced for people in 2018? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to invest in the lives and souls of people? Jesus was willing to invest, and he stopped everything to invest right here. It's still true today. You've heard this before, but it's still true. It's always stuck with me. People will not care how much you know until they know how much you care it's still true. People will know if you really care, you cannot fake genuine care. When they know you care, you'll have an opportunity to show compassion in the gospel. Jesus called, cared for people and he's called us to have that same care and compassion. You say, well, I really, to be honest, I want to have that kind of care and compassion, but if I'm really honest with myself, I'm not compassionate right now towards anybody. I don't really care about people dying and going to hell. I really don't. You can be honest to God and say that, and you should. Say, Lord, right now I do not care. Please soften my heart that I'll care. If you're saved, God wants you to pray an honest prayer like that. Say, Lord, I need to care. I need compassion. He'll give it to us. Let's look at the next thing, sharing. We didn't read this verse, so let's uh, move forward verse 35. Now, the day was far spent. It's getting late in the day. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Which we were, we, by the way, Lord, we were going to get to rest here, but apparently we're not. The hour is already late. Send them away so we can rest, by the way. Send them away. Get them out of here. Get the kids out of the children's ministry. Get them all out of here, Lord. Get them out so we can rest. This is, that, that's an honest prayer, by the way. Very honest prayer. Uh, Lord, please uh, get rid of my boss. Uh, all this kind of stuff. Get them away. Jesus doesn't answer the prayer the way that they were thinking. And uh, send them to the villages. They can buy themselves something to eat. Maybe they can go get a job, do something. They have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. What? And he, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Uh, and by the way, where are we going to get that money? Sharing. If you go back uh, to verse 34, the first thing Jesus began to do when he had compassion as he began to teach. And you might say, well, that great. A teaching, how is that going to help me? Well, if it's coming from Jesus, it'll help everything because his words are literally life. He began to teach, but he was giving the crowd what they needed most, which they didn't necessarily know they needed most, which is spiritual food. And he tells the disciples to give the people something to eat. Later, these men would spend their entire lives sharing the word of God. This would be their life going forward they don't necessarily know that at the moment their entire life would be sharing the word of God and they're having a foreshadow at this time of what their lives will soon be they had to be ready to share the good news they had to be ready to share the gospel they had to give spiritual food the way Jesus gives spiritual food to give truth the way Jesus gives truth because truth brings life it sets people free Now, of course, there is a physical need here. People really did need to eat. They were hungry. There is a physical need. And by the way, God uses physical needs for us to open the door to minister and to share the gospel and to reach people with their greater need, their spiritual need. Having something to give isn't always the giving heart. You might have something to give, but sometimes you don't even have anything to give. Do you know God doesn't care that the disciples don't have any food to give at this moment? What's he want them to really give from? Right here. He's saying, I want you to develop a giving heart. Because right now you might say, I would love to give, but I don't have anything to give. If you start to pray for a giving heart, God will bring the things that we need to give. That'll happen. We have to be in prayer, and we have to study and be prepared so we're ready to give an answer to every man who has a reason for the hope that lies within us, that we're ready to give and have compassion. But we pray for that compassion. We pray for a giving heart. Now, they didn't yet know at the time, because nothing was present there, they didn't know that there was going to be enough, but they couldn't see that. As best, best they could tell... The only solution to this issue was for the people to go buy something. A lot of times the, uh, the thing that God wants us to share with people is just spiritual nature, and then God will take that and multiply it. They don't know about the fishes and loaves yet. That, that's, that's not something they're thinking about. But they first, what Jesus wants in them and in us, God will provide the need. He wants to cultivate in us a giving heart. If the giving heart is there, God can do the rest. Amen? Doesn't matter if it's five, a few fish and loaves, a single Twinkie, anything will work. God can use just about anything. I don't know where that came from because I don't even eat them. But anyway, <laughs> brothers and sisters, when God calls us to share, the amount of what's needed, whether it be material or spiritual, is almost never visible to us. I want to say that again. When God calls us to share, the amount of what needed is almost never visible. Physically obvious to us, we almost always say we don't have enough. There's no way this is going to work. Um, I'm glad to share my time. But, Lord, how is me giving 30 minutes with this brother in coffee going to do anything material in his life? Watch and see. How is me answering and talking to this lady for 15 minutes on the phone encouraging, how is that going to work? 15 minutes, of course, of. she's already 60 or 48 or 22, uh, how is that little bit you never know? What willing to give will do in just a moment. God will, he'll multiply it. This goes for the words we'll need, the resources we'll need, the finances we'll need, the co-laborers we'll need, all those things. God will provide them as needed. Our job is to have a heart that wants to share in what God is doing and share what God has spiritually and materially, first to develop that sharing attitude, and then we're to pray towards that end. Plan towards that end. Prepare towards those opportunities and then share and be generous givers of our time, our talent, our treasures. Lord, just first, if my heart's in the right place, you know some people, the reason why God's never blessed some people financially is because they would only spend it on themselves anyway. They'd never have a heart for other people. I don't begrudge people that God blesses financially, especially, man, when they love the Lord because they can actually send missionaries and do all kinds of stuff. But many of us, the Lord wants to do more, but we don't have the hearts yet to be used. Let's look at the next thing. Assess. Assess verse 38. And Jesus said to them, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Hmm. Now, but the best they could tell, they had already kind of done a high-level assessment And their high-level assessment is zero. Lord, they all need to go into the village and buy something. Jesus said, I want you to go out, go across this multitude. That's a lot of people. This is going to take a little time, by the way, to go through a crowd, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, whatever it was. Go through the whole crowd, find out, and report back to me. I want you to come back with an awareness, assess the situation, an awareness of where we're really at. How aware are we, brother and sister, of things that really matter? How aware are we? More importantly, those things that actually matter to Jesus say, well, I'm, um, I'm up on everything on Pinterest. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you everything that's happened on Facebook in the last week. I, I can tell you all my sports team statistics. I can, those things don't matter to the Lord. I mean, some of them do because sometimes there's a prayer request and stuff like that. But you know what I mean. Do we want to be aware? You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't want to be aware of anything because that might mean they might have to respond. I'll never forget. The I was watching, we were watching a, a food show, me and my wife, and, um, and it was a celebrity, a really funny celebrity, one of these comedians. And the, 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 the main star of the show was cooking something up, and the celebrity says, do you want my help? Please say no, please say no, please say no, please say no, <laughs> right? That's a lot of Christians, right? So the best thing they do is don't even ask. Just kind of act like the world doesn't exist. I don't need to know anything because if I know something, I might need to do something. So I'll pretend that I just don't know anything that's going on out there in the church, in other people's lives, in the families around us. But there comes an accountability with awareness, doesn't there? With awareness comes accountability. And by the way, the accountability is there whether or aware of it or not. Did you know that? We're already accountable. When you stand before the Lord, say, Well, I didn't know that those other people needed my help. Jesus, says, you should have known. Do you know we're already accountable? Doesn't matter if we know it or not, we're still accountable. Read Matthew's uh, Gospels, uh, chapter 25. But are we listening? Are we hearing the voice of the Lord for his awareness, for the assessments that God wants us to? Uh, to me. And Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 35, behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields they're already white to harvest. He said they're already white, did you not notice? They're already ready to be harvested. Are we seeing with intentionality in our homes? And are we seeing the local mission field right here in Chesterfield County? There's a local mission field right here. It's not just the team that's going to Bon Air, and it's other places, it's at your work, it's in your neighborhood. Are we seeing the needs outside? Uh, the United States, that, that we can help with? Are we seeing the needs in our community? Are we seeing the needs right here in the church family? You know, we'll know we've grown immensely when needs are met before they ever hit a prayer chain. Because people say, I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to step in. Are we observant and sensitive to physical and spiritual needs? that we see, you know, again, I try and teach, uh, we talk about this a lot in our house, that Uh, girls have a 360 view be aware of what's going on It, it can involve things like a trash can that needs to be emptied but it can involve more important things like people awareness are we seeing uh spiritual needs physical needs are we seeing areas of potential say wow that has a ton of potential that person has a ton of potential that ministry has a ton of potential are we seeing those type of things are we seeing that fields are already widened to harvest, that Jesus has already done the heavy lifting for us? We now have to go glean. Perhaps we might see areas that are problematic. Some people are good problem solvers. Say, hey, I see a problem. Don't, what I don't like in leadership is people that like to present problems without solutions. <laughs> uh, I, worked for, um, I worked in the business world for 16, 17 years. And 13 of those years, I was at Microsoft. And it was one of the things, that, the, when I worked at the company there, you did not bring problems without a solution. That was a good way to get yourself a low review score. If you were going to bring problems, you had better come with a solution. Say, I've seen a problem, but here's what I think we can do to help make it better or facilitate it or fix it. Uh, and God wants us to have that kind of heart. Say, Lord, I'm not just a complaining or looking at this. I want to, what can I do, Lord? Here's some empty hands to help, open hands to help. Um But Jesus, he wanted, uh, you might have the ability to fix something, could be an issue, could be something that needs to be addressed, and you might have that skill and that gift or that talent, but first it needed to be seen and aware of it and assessed. And Jesus trained men that became highly aware, and he wants Calvary Chapel Richmond to become highly aware, spiritually highly aware. Jesus told the disciples to take an inventory. Go, see how how much food is out there, and report back to me what you find out. Assess the current supply. Assess the need within the multitude. Now, Jesus knew what was out there, but he wanted them to know it. He wanted them to find out. Now, Jesus could already told them, say, hey, you don't need to go because I already know. You're going to find five pieces of bread, two fish. But he didn't do that. He made them go do it. And by the way, the Lord knows everything he makes us go do. You've got to report back. It's a prayer life. Come back. So, Lord, this is what I found. The Lord wants us to do the same. We're called to be faithful stewards. A steward is one that can give an accurate account of something to his master. We're to assess and examine. Paul said to examine your own self, examine our own hearts at times, our spiritual walk. Where are we spiritually? Our real availability to God. Are we really available? The condition, the resources. The needs within our own home. Are you aware of your wife's spiritual need, husbands? Your kids? The needs, the gifts, the talents, the resources within the family, but also within the church family and the ministry, and how to use those things. And God wants us to, he's teaching the disciples to be aware, 360 view of these things. And you know what the disciples found out? They went and found, um, Lord, uh, we got some bad news. That's a big multitude. Five loaves of bread, two fish. We served high and low. We've assessed the situation. We found that uh, we still need to go to the village. They still need to go to the village. Exactly what we thought in the first place. It doesn't say that, but you can, you can bet they were thinking this. But our job is just to bring to God what we know. And God says, all right, you've done what I asked. Now sit back and let me fill the gaps. Amen. Next thing, last two things. Well, look at what he says. And when they had found, he said, five, uh, five and two fish, and he commanded them, make them all sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. Jesus knows what he's about to do, and no one else knows it. Now, everyone's like, well, why, why, what in the world's going on here? We should be, we're, we're losing daylight here. If we don't get to the village, nobody's going to eat. We've got a small bit of food. This is never going to work. All right, we'll get you all in groups. All right, the Lord wants me to get you, you guys get in this group, you guys get in this group. Thomas, you know, go over here. Peter, go over here. Get them all in groups. Sit them down. These men became great leaders and would go on to impact the lives of thousands, and they're still impacting our life today. These men would go on to have that kind of leadership impact Because they were following a leader, in fact, a Savior, with no limits. Isn't that great to know? They were following a leader with no limits. Jesus doesn't have any limits. He's like, get them in groups and hold on just a second. I'm going to show you what comes next. All great leaders, and and God wants all of us to grow in leadership, all great leaders first have to be really good listeners and really good followers. Jesus, this is what I want you to do. You can't deviate from it. Why are we putting them in groups? There's not time for that. Just do it. And those of you in military, you know what it's like to say, yes, I've been given a command. Just go do it. You don't always understand the details. But in the church and as believers, our leading takes its cues from Jesus. He's the head of this church, He's the head of the church. He's the one that we listen to. We listen to the scriptures. That's why we're in Mark chapter 6 this morning and not some book written by an author. In modern day age, we're listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit through scriptures. Now, because God is an organized God, he raised up organized men. Notice the instructions. By the way, you could have told the crowd. Jesus could have told the crowd himself, everyone get in groups. He doesn't. He delegated that down. Delegate the authority. Why? So the apostles would get closer to the people. God always wants us to get closer to people. They're told to have the people sit, to get in groups, and then Christ's work would come after the disciples had got everything ready. Remember that even in the Lord's Supper, he said, go and find a table, get everything prepared. When I come there, we'll then have that meal together, which we'll partake of in just a few minutes. Now, it is absolutely the role, and it has been for 2,000 years, for pastors for elders, for evangelists, even for deacons and teachers, to get people ready for what? Ready for a move of God. That's what God has always called leaders to do. Get people ready for a move of God. But all believers play a role in carrying out the instructions of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, but everyone plays a role in carrying it out. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, families, those of you in church ministry, children's ministry, men's ministry, Young life, uh, uh, young at heart, uh, helping prepare one another. Everyone plays a role in getting people ready for a movement of God. But when, they, when the disciples gave the instructions, um, there would have been helpful leadership within each group. You know how this works. If I all of a sudden, you guys get in this group, you guys, did you know that when we do that, some of you in the little groups would actually, hey, uh, one of you would speak up to say, hey, why don't we gather in? There's other voices that come to aid. It doesn't just happen. We, we break into prayer cell groups. I see it all the time. Someone takes a lead. Someone's the first to pray. Someone says, hey, why don't you gather in our group? Another group says, hey, we've got space over here. One more. And God uses people to refine these little areas of organization. The thing is this. Followers of Jesus are all to be growing In leading, because we're leading men to Jesus Christ. The last thing, we'll close with this last point here, serving. The essence of Christ's leadership was to serve. And after they sat him down in verse 41, and when he had taken the loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave it to the disciples, and set them before them all. And two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. Everybody was filled. The essence of Christ's leadership was to serve. They had to then, once they got them in groups, Jesus did the multiplication. By the way, Jesus will do the multiplication, but you and I are still going to have to serve. We're still going to have to distribute. We're still going to have to carry the food to people in need. The essence of Christ's leadership was to serve. He did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. He passed his character and his servant leadership onto his apostles, who were the disciples at this time. The people were not in groups so Jesus and the apostles could assert population control. That's not why they were in groups. Nor was it you know, that they could kind of have their own little cliques or anything like that. No, it was to be fed and that the people would experience and that the apostles would see at first hand the miraculous work of God. God wants us to become organized and prepared that we would see a miraculous work of God. Our prayers... To and with the Lord, the rest that we talked about that he wants to give in various settings, the care and compassion that he wants to multiply in our lives, the giving and sharing and the spirit he wants to develop in us, the thoughtfulness to assess and be aware of needs, the willingness to obey his voice and to take on responsibility even when it's not comfortable, and finally the humility to live a life of service, all of these things. Through that, you know what God wants to do? He wants to see thousands being fed and strengthened, and you and I grow. Amen? That's what, he, that's what it's all about. The collective work uh, of us as individuals and as a family in obeying and applying what Jesus has taught in these seven areas is that, that we would strengthen lives, and our own lives would be strengthened in the process. And sheep without a shepherd would come to know the shepherd. Amen? If we're willing to truly learn from Jesus, he's more than willing to do all we can ask, think, or imagine. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the perfect example of your son who modeled everything to perfection, that we can trust that the teaching of Jesus, Lord, will conform us into the men and women you desire us to be, that we no matter what we've grown in in the past, Lord, you still have more good work to do in us in this coming year. And these seven areas, Lord, they're not maybe everything, but they certainly are areas that we all need to grow in. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us open eyes, tender hearts, open ears, and we would hear what the Spirit is saying to us individually. Maybe it's more of a caring heart, maybe it's more of a prayer life, maybe it's making adequate time to rest, but also maybe it's understanding that you give a supernatural period when there's time when the rest isn't available, or maybe it's learning to take responsibility and leadership, but Lord, in all these things, that you would give us a heart for those that don't have a shepherd, and Lord, we would draw more near to you, our shepherd, and we ask these things in your name.